Welcome to a special edition of Corporate Governance at LSE. My name is Tom Kirchmeier and I have with me here Moki from the Finance Department. Welcome Moki. Thank you for having me. Today we talk about proxy, proxy statements. Um, you've given your students, and that's why it's a special edition because we will hear later on what they have to say about it, um, some questions about proxy statements. But why should we care about it in the first place? Proxy voting is the primary means for shareholders to express their opinion, to exercise their control rights that come with their equity. So that's why it's important for those students to understand how proxy voting works. Uh, and it's important for shareholders to know how they exercise their control rights. And it is important for firms to understand um, what the shareholders actually want them to do. It's important in this respect that shareholders have a democratic right to vote, like we vote in Parliament. It's important for firms, you said, but why in particular? Can they really make a difference? Yeah, if you're a large shareholder, it may be easier to just talk to the firm itself. But in the UK, in the US, in many countries, we have um, a lot of dispersed shareholdership. And then it becomes impossible for all one million of shareholders to phone up the firm and tell them what they want to do. And that's why we need an aggregating mechanism like voting, so that shareholders can ex express their opinion, but also that uh, they can make decisions. Mm. But do shareholders use their right? They actually do. So Participation rates, for example, in the US are around 75%, so uh, arguably quite high if you compare it with political elections. Mm -hmm. What are the main issues around proxy statements? Proxy voting has usually two parts. They are the proposals made by the management. The management has to propose certain things. They cannot just uh, use their discretion on everything, so they have to ask shareholders for permission uh, if there's any dilution involved. So about, um, that's about, uh, especially about equity issuances. Now, shareholders themselves can also bring forward proposals, or resolutions we call them in the UK, and uh, those can have a wide range of issues, from business-related uh, issues to governance-related issues to uh, CSR-related issues that shareholders, some shareholders care about. Thanks, Moki. Let's see what the students have to say. I'm Joven and I'm a student from Real Estate Economics and Finance taking the Finance 2 course. Right, uh, I'm a student in the same class. Uh, my name is Robin Wan. I'm, uh, I'm second year in the Master of Public Administration program. And would you like to do something with finance after you graduate? I'm going to join the Housing and Development Board in Singapore and I think that finance modules are in general very useful. In fact, if I were to do real estate finance, I think that this will come in helpful as well. So one of uh, the areas of my interest is uh, social impact investment. I understand the social impact, but I don't understand investment. So I think <laughs> this is going to be helpful. Even after the course? Yes, of course. <laughs> <laughs> OK, so as a um, class exercise, um, these students looked at uh, a company that they choose, and they looked at it in terms of corporate finance and corporate governance. Uh, which company did you choose? My group did on Smith & Nephew. It is actually a medical devices company. Based in the UK, but they also are uh, publicly listed in New York as well. Right. So now um, the AGM for Smith & Nephew is coming up very yeah. soon, and you had a look at their uh, proxy statement. So was there anything particularly interesting there that you saw? In general, for all the proxy statements, we agree with it except one, 
which is the one about the remunerations of uh, directors. And I think my colleague wished to talk more about it. Right, so uh, last year there was a complaint from the public and from the investors saying um, the remuneration policy was not transparent and the uh, incentive payments was so disproportionately high and in addition uh, the level of transparency into the future payment is not there yet. So this year they have done something to, to lower the incentive payment and to bring clarity to what has happened in the past. And do you think it was enough what they did? Our group felt that it wasn't enough because even though they provided clarification of what they have done in the past, I think that investors are looking for something in the future. They would wish to know how the directors are paid uh, and the remuneration schemes. So I think for this point in the proxy statement, we actually voted no. And what would you recommend them to add to their disclosure? I think it would be helpful if investors can have a clear view of what is going to happen to the remuneration uh, of the directors in the next one year or two years. So they will be able to predict whether the incentives are aligned to the activities that is planned already and whether uh, they can perform with the stability and uh, excellence. Now you said that they uh, reduce their, the overall amount of the incentive pay. But incentive pay is not only about the level but really about the structure. So if you look at the incentive pay, do you think structurally it actually aligns incentives? I think in general it is because uh, from what we understand, it seems as though the directors do have uh, some form of equity, uh, re uh, receive some form of equity. So I think that really aligns their interest to the shareholders because uh, their wealth is actually affected by the wealth of the company. So they would actually work harder for it. Mm -hmm. But because uh, from our limited uh, analysis and knowledge of the company, we feel that uh, perhaps more light can be actually uh, shine on this issue. And speaking of incentives, it's very interesting because this firm, sorry if this is a deviation from the main topic, but uh, what's interesting is they have a relatively higher debt-to-equity ratio compared to the industry average. I think this is a very good compliment because you bring debt into the uh, capital structure, uh, although the incentives, according to the amount of equity they're holding, are aligned to the uh, value of uh, investors. But debt can act as... Um, sort of a check and balance on their behaviours. So well. how does that work? How does that change their incentives? I think um, because of the amount of debt they are, uh, they are going to have to cover eventually in the future, they will think about their actions uh, with more prudence uh, because you have to ensure uh, the level of risk you are taking uh, are not going to entirely undermine the firm's ability to, to honor the payments uh, and uh, debt interest. Yeah. Now, if we think about the level of remuneration, it should be in line with the performance that they have. Would you like to, to I think you've looked more into performance, especially the dividends. Would you like to say a little bit more about those? Uh, in general, dividends for Smith and Nephew has, uh, have been increasing throughout the years at a very stable rate of, I think, about 4 to 6%. And this year in the AGM, they also mentioned that they are going to issue a dividend as well. And this dividend is also in line with the growing dividend policy. So I think in terms of dividends-wise, uh, Smith and Nephew has been very stable. Uh, in addition to the dividend payment, another 
uh, kind of uh, possible uh, payout you can get is um, share repurchase. They did it a few years ago. It, the program continued for about one year and a half, and they stopped promptly after discovering some uh, uh, additional investment opportunities. So I think that's a very typical textbook example of how firms manage investors' expectations and uh, use share repurchase and the timing of stopping it to send a s signal to the market that they are doing something good and they are not uh, using the excess um, capital uh, at will and they are doing it prudently. If you say that uh, they time the repurchases according to their investment policy, why do you think they don't time the dividends the same way? It seems that the dividends are actually quite stable even though they, invest, they started investing more into long-term projects. I think dividend policy is always seen as a market signal to the investors and, there's a, and investors actually wish to see that there's a stable dividend and they respond positively to it. And if there's a dividend cut, usually investors will respond it with a a drop in share price. Hence, companies in general, including Smith & Nephew, will wish to keep their stable dividend policy. As for share repurchase, it can be done according to the investment policy of the company and it is actually not seen as uh, more negatively as compared to dividends, a cut in dividend. Well, it seems like you did a lot of work about this company. Do you feel that you learned something from the exercise? I think certainly, because coming from a non-financial background, it's very interesting to see how people in the industry can predict and can make an educated guess about how the firm is going to perform. And uh, for outsiders, it's very hard to pick the right angle to look at uh, the same thing. I think I have learned how precisely I should uh, pick the right target. Yeah, and at the same time, we feel that uh, by doing a company analysis on Smith & Nephew, it really corresponds to what we have learned during lectures. We look at the capital structure, the dividend policy, the share repurchase, the, even the debt to equity ratio and how they actually carry out their, if possible, merger defence strategies. So we feel that, yes, we have learned a lot through this company evaluation.